This is Network Zero, Episode 8, and I am back from UK Games Expo. I've been back for a while. So, hi, I'm Chris, one of your regular hosts, and I am joined by, again, James. Hello, James. Hey there. So, yes, uh, we have put out, as Darkling episodes, um, interviews with uh, Mythic Games, covering um, the Solomon Kane board game which is currently on kickstarter uh it's doing incredibly well as expected uh and also we had a very quick episode i wanted to get out which was our interview with uh matt McElroy from onyx path publishing about all the cool things going on with uh onyx path to do with things like vampire the dark ages uh pugmire fetch quest and more because obviously there's lots of things going on uh on that end of things. Um, so this is going to be a wrap-up episode with the remaining interviews we have. Uh, so the interviews we have in order that we'll, we'll go through, we will uh, have, um, we'll do them in the right order. So we've got uh, an interview with Chris Birch from Modifius, uh, where we talk about Tales from the Loop, we talk about Vampire 5th Edition, and we talk about um, Fallout, uh, Wasteland Warfare. Uh, we also have an interview with uh, Sam, uh, from uh, who is one of the creators of the Sins RPG that won the uh, the it wasn't the judges. Best. It was the it was, like it the was the best new RPG in the show. Yeah, it, but it was voted for by um, by the people, not not the judges. So mm. you know, it was more of a it was voted on in that way. Um, and then we also have a interview with James Raggy from Lamentations of the Flame Princess, talking about his releases, and um, and also we've got finally a uh, we've got I say finally no we've got an interview with Grimlord Games, uh, talking about uh, Village Attacks and Everrain, uh, and then finally we have an interview with Parabellum. Uh, games about their new war game uh called conquest right um so james shall we jump into one of those first interviews initially and then uh and then we can get into our feelings of how uk uk games expo went so um you know people can have a listen to uh what interesting things are going on that sounds great so um yeah so first up uh the interview with uh Modifius and chris birch so this is Chris again and James from Darker Days Radio and we are joined by Chris from Modifius and I got it right the first time you this did. time around. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, where Tales from the Loop is heading with some of the new products this year because it's doing, it's like being well received um, and it's very much driven by some of the art that makes up kind of the setting it really evokes kind of what that world's about yeah it's um simon simon salenhag's artwork obviously is um what's uh created that whole game yeah it's obviously the fantastic art book he did and um and the kickstarter drew on that to create the core game uh there's obviously uh tales from the flood it's kind okay. of like more 90s era oh right okay 80s uh, and then also you've got the um, Our Friends and Machines and Other Mysteries, which is the supplement, actually, which one of our guys, Steve, wrote, um, uh, basically set a loop in Norfolk, the glamorous, <laughs> glamorous Riviera of Norfolk. Wow, okay. Uh, with an old MOD base. 
so oh, right. that's it's like really brought it home i've heard really good brilliant. things about the book because it's about how to design a mystery without creating hurdles where the characters can't progress it's a yeah yeah and also more about creating your own loops and stuff and there's, there's good examples like the norfolk one as well okay. classic you know quatermass style stuff that's wicked um and then of course you've got um you're involved obviously with white wolf with publishing vampire the masquerade fifth edition which yeah people listen to this will know hopefully that i've run a beta demo and it's fantastic um you're doing some really cool i mean when i saw the dice i was like that's great because yeah, you can use d10s but there's something really tactile yeah. about them and i think I'm, the hunger dice is really great sure, and you don't need them and there's there's a, there'll be a table in the yeah. book that shows you what what you need to roll so it's not you know it's not end of the world but it, you know if you like it's always nice having dice that just tell you the result immediately don't have to look it up yeah so i think that's really good we're obviously doing like we're doing a gm screen uh that it's probably the wrong word to say plot generator because that makes you think about you know dungeon generators but it's like a, a story city generator oh okay yeah so you've uh, got if you're stuck for a moment and you need some kind of seed yeah. for an idea so that that's yeah, really yeah. i like those things yeah, like plot seeds and ideas how to create you know if you, you want to create a new um you know the kind of the politics of a new yeah. place you've gone to i mean the worst thing for me as a gm is sometimes like you go right a person one of your players goes i want to i need to feed yeah. They're like, oh, what, how do I make this interesting? And it's like, oh, I'll do the table. Also, there's going to be a hunts generator as well. Brilliant. So, uh, you know, because there's the different types of bloods that you, you sometimes need to look for. And so it'll be like, how do I find this type of blood? Well, okay, here's a map location. So it will help you generate. And sometimes, you know, that's just really a, a kicking off point for a GM to get their creative juices going, just to give them a direction. Not necessarily, you know, often you when you get a result you go I don't really want that one actually I wanted that one you know so that'll be really useful for people we're doing a beautiful notebook that yeah. is all about you know telling your own chronicle so I mean because you're coming at it from like you know making these high you know these premium products like when you got the opportunity to go we can make these books and make yeah, these products like what what was your first impression like when your brain go we've got it it's like what kind of buzz did you were you getting yeah, like, it's I mean obviously you? I remember when uh, Vampire first hit the scene and you know and I was an early D&D player and it was like you know it's like world changed yeah and um, and it's you know it's mental when you think that this is like the world's second biggest RPG, RPG yeah. that's um, ever ever happened and, right. it, and it's been really exciting to see the pick up because it's not the main thing the books actually haven't been in shops for like at least 15 years yeah I mean you're, like, you're limited to drive for RPG for the yeah, classic yeah. stuff so uh, you know and obviously, you know, obviously they've, they've um, Onyx Path have really kept it alive you know bringing out the additions and you know uh, kind of a grassroots thing but I think I yeah. think the thing is like the art direction we're getting from like Mary Lee is like awesome oh, yeah they've really you know it's just it's like scratch the record let's you know turn it over start again and um, it's it's really great to see a whole new direction with the art style. Obviously, got some new classic, gorgeous graphic art as well. And I know they're drawing on, you know, for example, what we kind of cancelled MMO art, which is very beautiful as well. They've got so much great resources. And you know, it's again, it's that first time it's going to be commercially available. So there's like a whole generation of people who can now rediscover it. Because a lot of people like buying it in their local gaming store. They don't want to yeah. go online, you know, or they want to support the local store so they'll be able to do that 
and there's a new generation to discover it who are like, what's this? You know, oh, vampire's cool. It, know, it's so. pretty, it's, it's, there's a bit of synchronicity. So James, like the, um, with Vampire as well, um, they're doing the Vampire, the, oh, sorry, they're doing the Vampire Chronicles TV series, which of course is based on Anne Rice. So it's kind of like, it's a, it's a nice kind of synchronicity because like they're, they're the two sources of when everyone goes yeah. vampire media it's like yeah it's a rip off of these two like come <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> uh, James got anything for about Tales from Loop other things you were excited for and wanted to ask about because I know less about that compared to you yeah, so I've, uh, I've just picked up my uh, I've just picked up my rule book for the core of uh, Tales from Loop um, I'm already writing a one shot so I can try it at work um, I hope to run that for the uh, podcast as well um, but I want to say that you know it is a really nice quality book. I'm uh, uh, having a chance to actually sit and read through it, and the the mystery design section just hit me as really useful. Yeah. Like even if you're not necessarily going to sit down and run tales in the loop straight away, just yeah. plot building ta- uh, countdowns into it and all yeah. that stuff yeah. is just. Yeah. I think yeah, you're seeing like a new generation of games that it's not just about playing uh, a character that does X. But, you know, like the idea of being school kids and you can go off and fight monsters, um, but you still got to do your homework and get back before 11, you know, whatever. And that there's this sort of secondary, you know, element to the game that keeps you grounded, you know. The fact that that your parents can't understand you, you know. Can't go, oh, there's a monster in the garden. Yeah, Johnny, great. Yeah, make sure you're in by 11. Mum, there's a monster in the garden. Great. What do you want beans for? You know, so it's, they've really kind of built this great system that, has just a different uh, appeal, I think, and we're, we're seeing all kinds of different people picking it up. Obviously, Stranger Things has done amazing. Yeah, uh, God, I mean, like fantastic. Uh, Season two kicked butt. So yeah. you know, if you want to replicate, and, and they copied it. the cover of, of uh, Tales from the Loop. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the kids lined up with the yeah. forest and the background. So awesome. Yeah. Um, what else? Yeah, James, well, any other questions? Have you have you heard any stories of particularly weird settings that people have used to? Uh, no. <laughs> but I know. I mean, that people have been generating lots of stuff online, and uh, I mean, it's because it, it's a bit like Meet Me Zero, where where they said, look, think about the nearest building to you that would be a great arc that if the bomb hit now, where you would go to to try and survive and build a base, and so. It's a similar idea. It's like you know, what near you might be a secret government facility. Yeah. You know? And it's down the road from me. There's like a, literally in Fulham, yeah. okay. in London. There's a big warehouse with lots of cameras around it, and it looks shit, and it's all like run down. There's cameras <laughs> everywhere around it, and it's that is the one space. You go if you own that, you'd have sold that and made a fortune, making a massive, you know, luxury block of flats. <laughs> oh, yeah. For some reason, it's still an old warehouse. You know, so. I've got um, there's quite interesting links that's like because obviously I, I run I wrote a whole setting material for uh, running Vampire the Requiem set in Manchester so I did yeah. so much of that and like you've got to include the bits like if you go into the museum of Manchester or in one of the buildings for Manchester Uni you can put a Geiger counter to the wall because that's where Rutherford left some nuclear material when he was discovering how the atom structure really? is <laughs> so there's, there's bits that you can't go into and um I was like thinking, if, um, what would be perfect for Tales of the Loop, and you use it, James. Please use it if you want. Is do you remember a kids show with uh, done by um, uh, who was his name? He did the more modern Doctor Who stuff. Um, not Moffat before him. Oh. But you know who I'm talking about. He yeah, did a yeah, show yeah. called. He did a. I think it was called Dark Future or Dark Millennium, and it was yeah. like a kids show that had 
Kate Winslet, I think, was in it. Okay. And they had like a, a weird Nazi computer mainframe that was hidden under a skull. And obviously you have this machine. And I thought, I was like thinking, where would I set a loop? Manchester, why? Because it's the birthplace of computer. What yeah. if it was weirdly sentient and doing things? So that's my loop. You can <laughs> steal it if you want. Um, so what other cool products you got? I know you've spoken to Beast of, well, guys from On Tabletop about some cool games. Um, Fallout's going Fallout crazy. Fallout games, yeah. I mean, that's, that's nuts. I mean, it's coming out in July, August time. And we've got like 250 miniature sculpted for it. We've, like, our, whole, our whole company's doubled in size. Just, wow. It's a different business to making role-playing games. You yeah. Know, you've got sculptors. And, you know, it's a whole new team of playtesters. Painters as well. And yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. Suddenly you need people to make paint and um, build scenery and stuff like that. I was going to so. say, like, with the scenery, are you looking at partnering, partnering with people that, so you can at least get some yeah. bits which really get the the flavour of Well, we've done um, with Battle Systems. They do the printed oh, yeah, card, put yeah. together dungeons and stuff. So we did the, the Red Rocket with them, so it's ready to play out the box. We're also doing... And there's lots of people making really obviously great-looking period buildings that sit within Fallout. So we're doing like little sheets of stickers that you can oh, right, yeah. stick on those buildings. You know, sometimes there's no, it's, there's no you point doing fight them. You another just... tenement building. That, yeah. you know, there are obvious, you know, kind of atomic future style buildings in Fallout that we'll do the resin fixtures for or a car building for nice. or something. So we will be doing that. And obviously vaults, we're going to do vaults stuff. Wow. Um, so that's all coming. James mostly yeah. knows a lot more about Fallout than I do. So well, any we, questions we on that the, uh, front? Just recently we had the big announcement of uh, Fallout 76, which uh, is still in the mysterious void at the moment as far as information yeah. goes. Yeah. Um, is that something that you guys know, at least have any kind of uh, involvement <laughs> with? We, we're also in the dark. I mean, like, we just <laughs> got an email as that went out going <laughs> we're doing this just thought you'd know and we, we don't know anything about it whether it's something we can use right uh, I mean it, if it's in the Fallout universe we can use it but we don't know if it's a thing that has characters in it that we could use or if it's some pretty art <laughs> maybe it's an elaborate set of screensavers you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah like um it's it's always always interesting when uh, when an IP decides that it's going to expand itself in a in a way because um, yeah. there's lots of there's rumours going around on the internet. But obviously, you know you can't yeah. trust you yeah, can't yeah. trust rumours. And as someone who works in a games company, I would implicitly state: do not confirm or deny any rumours about anything. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think so, that who knows? I think that covers everything. So we don't want to. Oh, no, Jasper, right. it's nice, yep. short and sweet. Um, cool. I'll have a look at the Cthulhu Arctic miniatures. Yeah. You know, I paint toy soldiers. Um, Great. Good yeah, we've got some new ones, actually. Uh, we've got the Black Sun Commanders. Okay. Uh, which is uh, Albrecht Lohman and Sweet Liesel and a few others. Really cool. Uh, there's five new uh, really cool characters. We've also got uh, Natalia, who's our main, one of our main heroes based on Rita. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> and business partner. Uh, so she's like a tank driver possessed by the spirit of the Russian motherland. Nice. So she's got a new, new demonic spirit. Communists are always fun. Yeah. And, uh, and then we've got uh, Mad Jack McMasters. He's the famous guy who carried a sword running out of a landing craft. Right. A actually did in uh, World yeah. War II. And he's the last recorded kill with a longbow. But we've got a fictional character based on him with his sword and bow. And uh, Corporal Leibovitz, who's a... Uh, a um, Corporal's caught in a mad experiment. So he's got tentacles for an arm and cool. does weird stuff. 
And of course, if you're listening to this, I would highly recommend if you haven't pre-ordered V5. Yeah, get it. Pre-order it because like you can get different size packs. If you're not yeah, too sure, like also bundles, the core book with book. the dice, etc., yeah. etc. Et um, and that's like August, when's that out? It's meant to ship. So core book and dice should ship around August time. Uh, it's going to be at uh, Gen Con. Slipcase is uh, a bit late. Slipcase is yeah because yeah, it's waiting on the other two books. Yeah, Camarilla. And they said fall at the moment, so we're not, yeah, okay. you know, who knows? Uh, I, I mean, the covers to those books, again, like, yeah, um, really amazing, when, yeah. when I showed them to my wife, because uh, we've got a, a couple of issues of uh, a, a kind of a counterculture art fashion magazine called, called Core House, yeah. and I was just like, there it is. Yeah. That, yeah, it's yeah, that, yeah. It, it felt that modern, yet counterculture. And that's, I think, one of the yeah. exciting things I'm, gonna, I'm waiting to see in the art is, and like Martin said this, it's like, yeah, goth is kind of dead, but kind of alive. And there's so many other countercultures. Like, if you're a vampire, there's so many yeah. weird people to exploit. So oh, yeah, yeah. I'm eager to see totally. that in these books. Yeah. Right, I think that's cool. it. All right, guys. Cheers for that. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll be back with something else. Bye. Cheers, Cheers for that. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. All right. Yep. So, um, yeah, okay, so Vampire 5th Edition, James. Um, I mean, what do you, what, from what you know and what I've told you about it, because I ran a beta demo, um, uh, what are you hoping for? Or what, what are you looking forward to in all of that? Oh, uh, man, that's that's a big question. Um, I I mean, I'm looking forward to more Vampire, as always. Yep. Um, you know, I still... Uh, I'm interested to see the stories they tell with it. Um, yeah. And there's, yeah, <laughs> kind of cool. Um, so, oh, um, I can, I can I'll tell, I'll, you can get your thoughts. You, I'll, I'll say what my thoughts are, because obviously I ran it yeah. and I ran the beta and it's going to printing currently from what I've been told. So my experience with it was that it feels like a very fast system compared to Chronicles of Darkness and can, compared to like classic Vampire V20, whatever you're playing. Uh, the setting I am excited for, I feel they're really pairing it back down to that, you know, street level game where you'll predominantly be playing Anarchs, I feel, at this rate, or at least vampires that have been left behind by the Camarilla as they retract and and become ever more secretive. Uh, there's some really good system bits in there, and I'm, I'm. It'll be interesting to see the products that Modifius bring out to support it. Chris Birch seems really excited to be able to uh, come up with pitches for books or products with them. Uh, I have a suspicion about what some of those products may well be um, after asking certain questions, um, and you know, it, it's. It's going to be. I think it'll be a good, good introduction to it. And I think you know, with the dice and the corset, um, other things, you know, it's. It'll, I'm interested. It's, I'm not too sure yet whether, say, another, if another person, another company like Onyx Path is pitching a product, whether it's actually therefore will be published by Modifius. I think most probably it would be just to maintain like the same in-house look and feel of all the books. That's at least my. Um, what I would think most sensible idea would be. 
but yeah, I mean, the players really enjoyed it from what I ran. I, I know some people aren't too sure about the new hunger system rules, but I'm very happy with them. Like they're they're less, they're not as overbearing as they were in the two alphas. Um, and the touchstone system from from Requiem, I think, really works to reinforce your character. So, uh, James, do you know what the touchstone system is in Requiem in second edition? Is can't can't say I do. do you so basically, to... it's a few things like people, places, things which help tie your vampire to their human life or to to humanity and to the world around them. Okay, so they that help, makes sense. They help. Um, so if things th if if they're useful for you to maintain your humanity, they give you a bonus. But obviously, they're also things that can be threatened, and so can lead to you. You know, if they're threatened and destroyed, they lead to humanity degradation, and they can also cause you to frenzy when you see, say, a loved one being hurt or something like that. So those are quite important. Um, the other things then you've got. So I said touchstones. Um, yeah, I, I you know I'm confident with it. So I, I don't think there's much to worry about there. Um, I think people need to perhaps, you know, have a little faith now. I know it's a bit hard given that you know it's been a rough it's it's been a rough ride along the way, um, but I think it'll be good. Um, so, what other things, James? I mean, you've played Vampire the Masquerade before in the past, so um, you the idea of a more street level game interesting, something that's not so heavily focused on meta plot. I that actually is sounds like it's going to be a huge benefit for me because one of the things I often struggle with with vampire is trying to kind of get my motivations in line with the scale of it. I mean, yeah. you know, I've done some LARP stuff where you're you're trying to figure out like on a citywide scale, I'm trying to do this or that and get get what I you know try and manipulate a situation and turn things to your favor um, or solve a you know, solve a citywide problem. Whereas mm -hmm. a more kind of personal level, like as you say, the street level stuff, that's yeah. It's more the kind of um it's the kind of living that I think resonates with the people who are going to be playing it. Like so much of our uh, wow, okay, I'm I'm getting I'm getting a little uh <laughs> little um lofty at the moment, but like yeah. you know, we we're very much all on the street level trying to survive and make do you know having grand plans of i'm going to change the world is a little like it's always a little bit out of uh yeah okay <laughs> sorry pardon me yeah no, no no i get it i get it yeah um i i don't say it's going to make i think it makes the game more accessible having a lot of that content um about the uh, the big deep meta plot kind of not so plastered across the book like it just gets to what's it like to be a vampire in this setting. Um, that's the main priority, I feel. Um, okay, cool. Um, Tells from the loop, then. Um, it, we've got Tells from the Flood that deals with a 90, more 90s feel um, for that game. So that's going to be interesting when that pops up. Yeah, yeah. They're, um, uh, you mentioned. Uh, it was Chris, wasn't it? He mentioned that um, there's one of the the setting book is set in the UK, um, down in Cornwall, was it? Oh, something like that. Yeah, another loop. Yeah, that would be um, cool to look at as well. Yeah, because I both of the you know you've got the uh, the original two settings that are in the book, which is America and uh, Sweden. 
Yeah. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see kind of what they've done about putting that in the UK. Because I mean, I I'm writing up like a little thing for us to run where it's set on the Isle of Wight because that's a place I know and it's actually like it's quite conveniently isolated, which I think could make a good good setting for a science thing. But yeah, I'm I'm interested in that. I really actually want to get running some. Um, hmm. So yeah, I think that's going to be that's going to be exciting. I'm at, and the goodness. The um, did you see the special edition books they did with the uh, without the kind of cover art on them? They looked like old textbooks and stuff. With oh covers. right, really? I didn't yeah. see those ones. They uh-huh. they kind of like phrase they're done up like survival manuals or things. Those were oh right, okay, that's kind of cool. Yeah, really neat. Um, and I mean, heck, the book anyway. I mean, I've got my I've got my classic edition here, and it is just it is gorgeous. Like the quality of the paper's really nice, and I just yeah, I just can't wait to actually bring that to a table. Yeah, um, Fallout. I mean, I've yet to play it. I, I'll try and I think mostly the the soonest I'll get to actually having a demo of that will be you know mostly at Dragon Meat. Um, I mean, I've got so many war games on on my plate that that I want to play, so I have to kind of be picky and choosy i mean clearly their miniatures are very good and in keeping with what fallout is they have to in order to um properly promote that uh ip um yeah uh yeah they they looked really good i mean we saw some of the um the scenery they've done and like i've played a lot of the fallout games and the moment you look at it like we saw them setting up the board before they had uh any of the minis on and it's obvious that it's fallout yeah, uh, and that is that's great. I mean, that means that they have absolutely hit the uh, the art on the head. Yeah, and then um, I obviously because I picked up a book from them on the day, so I've got like in resin um, Khan from Star Trek uh, to the Wrath of Khan. So based upon that design, not the awful Benedict Cumberbatch. It's a really nice miniature. I need to like sort out painting it like mm-hmm. at some point soon. Uh, when I'm not painting Kingdom Death stuff right now. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, they're doing clearly some really nice miniatures. That The the Borg miniatures they had on display were really great with um, the object source lighting of, like, the green glow. So those looked pretty badass. Um, and also, I picked up, of course, from uh, their stand, I bought uh, City of Mist. So... City of Mist is uh, an RPG that uses a derivation of the uh, Dungeon World and Apocalypse World systems. So it's very um, rules-light. A lot of your character design is based on keywords. Uh, So if you've got a keyword that your character is good at, like, I don't know, say, uh, occult mysteries or or, um, is good with a certain type of pistol, they'll get bonuses when those keywords come into play or act against them even uh so you have keywords which relate to weaknesses but the the setting is a non uh, not a particular city it's the it's just called the city so you're not too sure how the characters are there why they're there it's just known as the city and it's the only city that everyone knows of uh and there's this thing called the mist, which is this kind of barrier between the mundane world and the more occult supernatural events that take place. 
and you are in the city playing characters who are known as rifts so they are gateways for this the occult elements to pour through because you embody um a so you have logos and mythos so logos is your mundane self uh, and then you also have your mythos side of you which is your your mythic element to you so say you're the you're embodied by the um the mythic concept of say uh let's take for example for for example thor so you will have power maybe have powers and abilities that stem from that kind of mythology uh and then the setting itself is meant is framed as being described so you create cases so the the sessions you run the games the stories you run uh it, it frames it more like a tv series rather or maybe like a noir film so it's kind of aiming for that kind of procedural investigation but with paranormal things going on so i'm slowly trying to work out what i'm going to run for it um nice. I want to do a one shot quite soon. My feeling is I'm going for one of the styles they they suggest. It's not just noir, but neon noir. So that's 80s style noir. Uh, the kind of feel that you also get when you watch, say, Blade Runner, or um, I guess it fits in neon noir. Would be only God forgives. I looked to Sam for a nod. Neon noir, only God forgives by uh, Refn. Good old Refn. Uh, and um, and but gameplay wise like the type of characters i would expect in it i'm actually i think because it fits that kind of neon noir style and a bit over and kind of the over the top element of it is to go a bit devil may cry on it oh yes there we go so you know devil may cry one two well one two three four uh and not that awful dmc shite that came out in between because uh, we just had from E3 the uh, announcement trailer for Devil May Cry 5, which looks freaking awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's the plan. So I need to do a bit of um, thinking still and finish reading the book, because the book is fucking huge. Um, but yeah, so that's that's um, that's kind of me just saying, picked up something from Modifius that I wouldn't have picked up if I hadn't seen it there. Um, yeah. Anything else, James, or to do with Modifius? Um, well, I mean, we asked them. <laughs> we asked them the interesting question based on the uh, Fallout, um, the initial kind of leak about Fallout seventy six. Oh yeah, um, they know shit. <laughs> they know as much as we do. <laughs> um, but now, since E three's happened, we've got a better idea of what's going on with that. But it's not really relevant to uh, to what we've got happening at the moment. Um, it's more online multiplayer survival sandbox doodad um setting, yeah like very early waste so we're not gonna see we're probably not gonna see as much of what's already established. i mean that does mean that maybe they might end up with some interesting new material to pull from um with like proto ghouls and things but yeah yeah probably won't see its way to the tabletop in a while since they had as little notice as anyone else did cool okay uh right so moving on um let's talk about UK UK Games Expo in general then. Yeah. Um yeah. It was bigger by like thirty odd percent bigger floor space. More vendors, more events going on. Um so this is the third year that UK UK Games Expo has taken place in the NEC. Previously to that, it's been in the just purely been in the Hilton um and the hotels there. 
So it's grown substantially. The Hilton is still used for organized play. Uh, when I say organized play, for like their board games and RPGs, like um, such as you know the the tabletop stuff that I ran there. Uh, yeah, I mean, what more can we say then? Um, well, I think there's. Some... Go on. So there was some interesting stuff there on the kind of. Sorry, pardon me. Um, right. There were quite a few companies actually pitching support for producing board games. Yes. Like we saw a few who were maybe prototyping cards or boards. Um, there was one that was doing full miniature solutions for things. Mm -hmm. um, so the Board Game Expo is kind of catering to people who are interested in producing their board games. And I mean, I think we saw little bit of that last year maybe one stall mm. um, but it felt like it was a bigger deal this year especially because they had the play testing area like the board game play testing area yeah um, and that was up in the second hall where you could sit down and play board games that we people were designing and kind of wanted feedback on and um, that's that's pretty neat like I don't think a lot of people get to see the kind of design processes that go on behind it um, yeah, and there's some there's quite a few events like that at UK Games Expo. So like I know, um, so you get like people pitching ideas, and it's kind of like almost a, a kind of dragon den, dragon's den kind of scenario where you're pitching your game to company make uh, companies that make games. So like inside the box, um, I think support that event a lot. Uh, you you also have um, you know the kind of like. There's a lot of stuff for board games, but of course we went along to a meetup event for RPG designers, and that was good fun because obviously um, you get to meet other people that are already possibly involved in the industry, and it gives that opportunity to perhaps get a chance to actually having a stab at writing or finding new people to uh, team up with or to bring in on projects. Um, so you know it's so uk games expo yeah it's clearly you know it's not just designed to go there to to for people to buy stuff and for companies to shill their wares it's a very important uh chance for people to meet up especially when so much business and so much to do with the making and creating the games takes place in a in an online format you don't often see the people you're working with directly um so it's good in that sense. You know, it's good for us because like we get to go see the latest and greatest kind of games coming out. Uh, we can talk directly to the creators and get some really good insight onto that. I mean, they clearly like to talk about their games and get that information out. Um, you only have to also look at like, you know, Beast of War now as on tabletop. Their coverage of the event is like really great and um I can see us next year being more heavily involved with them again. So their little HQ center, I can see um, us having a could potentially have a little um, space to do very quick, you know, audio editing to get stuff up like ASAP, and that would therefore also give them much more content to share with people. So that's something we'll look into. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I was talking to Matt McElroy about um, UK Games Expo, and he went, like, last year, I think he went the year before, even. 
and he was saying like how much bigger it is and clearly they need to get onyx path there because they're now properly producing um stock you know books and card games that are going out to shops so to be at what is one of the biggest events in europe for gaming other than essenspiel you know it's just those two events in europe and one uh, let's be honest do we really think essence is easy to get to as it is as the uh, birmingham nec i mean the nec is right at the airport basically isn't it it's right at the airport yeah it's quite Uh, easy to fly in um and i mean birmingham as far as our travel links go that's that's pretty good you've got the trains down there i mean i took i took the coach um which you know was a long journey but it got me got me right there yeah, and you know, it's easy. Like I say, the train's easy enough to get to get on. So you get there easily from like either flying. You could either you know, either you're flying into Manchester, you're flying into Heathrow or Stansted, or you're flying into Birmingham or East Midlands. Um, pretty much those are your main airports to get to get to the NEC um, easily enough. Uh, or you know, it's not if you're bringing large amount of stock i guess from europe it's just a long car journey by um jumping on the euro tunnel um though i mean i don't know how easy that's all going to be in in uh, in a post-brexit world um uh, that's a horrible thing to think about anyway um so uh yeah there's a lot go- there's definitely a lot going on so before we get into our own personal experiences of maybe being at the nec and at the event and the things we got up to that we didn't record audio for. Um, how about time for another interview to listen to? So I think the next one we'll have up will be uh, the one from Grimlord Games that you did, James. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that was a really good, a really fun one. Cool. So let's listen to that now. Okay, so hi there, this is James for Dark Days Radio, and I'm talking to Mike from Grimlord Deck Games. Hey, how are you doing? Um, so yeah, we're here at the UK Board Game Expo, and first of all, we're going to talk about Village Attacks. Uh, yeah, Village Attacks. Yeah, so Village Attacks uh, was a Kickstarter we did last year, um, around April, and basically um, this one is very different to our, our, our first Kickstarter, which was Endure the Stars. Um, this one, we've actually gone for a, a castle defense game. Um, but we've actually turned it on its head. We've um, we've decided that you are playing as the monsters. So so Fantastic. you're playing as the bad guys. So um, you're playing as characters from folklore and legends. So we've very much gone into the the research of all the different kind of uh, European and Eastern European kind of legends uh, throughout time. Uh, obviously, we've got the, um, the 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 obvious ones like vampires and werewolves. But we've uh, we've got banshees. We've got a, a succubus in there. We've got a Dullihan, Headless Horseman, a Jack of the Lantern. It goes on. We've got quite a lot. Um, the core game comes with uh, five monsters, uh, but there is more within the expansion packs. Um, and what happens is, obviously, you've been living in the castle, uh, wreaking havoc on the village. The village have got sick of you, and now they are swarming the castle to defeat you and, and to, to basically annihilate you. So um, they're, they're, they're swarming in their hordes, uh, obviously, um, there is different types of villagers. Um, you've got your weak peasants, um, who basically are just like pitchfork wielding with little lanterns. Um, 
they're very easy to kill and then obviously you've got your hunters which are basically trained in that kind of um, hand-to-hand -hand combat and then um, you've got your nemesis which are town heroes which have been hired in by the village um, who um, have a particular skill set to defeat that a certain type of monster so if um, if you are a vampire uh, who is a, a cursed and you come against a cursed town hero then obviously it's 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 game over it's they have a lot right. of skills a lot of abilities and it makes it extremely tough um, the game AI the way it works is obviously it's um, you control your movement with dice and you can spend dice to move attack to level up to use all sorts of skills and abilities um, the villagers they will just keep um, ascending forward towards the castle heart which is the Oh, that is the ultimate goal. They need to destroy the castle heart. Um, but what you're trying to do is obviously fend them off. Because if that we have a tracker wheel that gets to zero, game over. Um, obviously, uh, the more villagers you kill, that reduces their morale. Again, there's a morale tracker, and you know, so you can win the game or they can win. It's story driven. There's campaign modes. Um, we have like all sorts of cool missions. We've got one called Dinner Time. You have to drag peasants back to the uh, to the kitchen. Um, oh, that, that sounds uh, yeah. that sounds exciting. And uh, obviously, yeah. um, they they move in all sorts of different ways. Like let's say for the the vampire can only move two zones, but he can actually um, level up his ability, turn into a bat, and fly to the kitchen with the villager. So okay. um, he can go a lot quicker. <laughs> so there's all sorts yeah. of cool mechanics in the game. But um, yeah, come yeah. and check it out. Um, when we were talking earlier, one of the things I heard was that um, there's custom. You've got you guys have got templates for customizing. Yeah. So so what website. we've done is um, obviously the the template dashboards for the for the the enemy characters. What we've done is we've made blank templates and uploaded them to our website. Now what that does that gives the ability to um, to uh, customers with existing games they can drop artwork in from all the games they own. Um, they can create their own abilities, their own lore around that character, and, and they can use minis that they already have sitting in their other games on their shelves. So it gives it a more replayability, a customization. You can house rule it. Um, yeah. It just gives it a lot more replayability and in, 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 in this gameplay. So yeah. I, I was really impressed with it. It sounds like a really nice way to kind of foster a bit of community around the game because you can that's, share that's right. these things it's, with other like, people. Obviously, I don't want to drop names and stuff, but. Um, you know, there was a lovely troll over on the uh, the mythic stand. I really liked it, and I was like, that would work in the village uh, attacks in the universe. So you could actually bring models from those games. Um, we've even uploaded a, uh, a map editor tool, so um, you you will have all the tiles online, and you can make your own missions, submit them to ourselves, and we will post them on our website so we can share with the community. And the end goal is we take the 14 missions in the core rulebook. And that suddenly becomes 50, 60, and it just goes on from there. So um, we really hope that will just, again, um, it'll be a selling point that, that when you buy this game, you won't just play it a couple of times. You won't complete all 14 missions and put it on your shelf. You can just play the next mission that's online. So um, that's that's really cool. Like something that just keeps, you can keep giving. Keeps and keep, giving, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Keeps, it, keeps it alive and keeps it... You know, everything's different, all the scenarios were changing, so... Amazing, yeah. fantastic. Um, wow, I mean, yeah, the minis, the minis are absolutely lovely. I've been, uh, I've been eyeing them up um, uh, for a while while I've been... Obviously, around. we are um, 
we are a little bit mini obsessed. We love mini games, but um, don't we all? But there's a lot of games out there and we don't want to just have beautiful minis, beautiful artwork, and then there is no depth, there's no, the rule book isn't great, and, and the mechanics just are a little bit clunky. We very much focus on that as well. That's the heart of the game. It just helps that we have lovely minis. And uh, that's all down to our sculptors, um, who are just incredible, and they're, they're producing some really nice work for us at the moment. So um, we can't take the credit for that. Awesome. Well, shall we, uh, shall we talk a little bit yeah. about Everett? So basically, um, Everrain is going to be our next Kickstarter. Now, what we don't want to do is put this on Kickstarter before we've delivered on um, Village. And um, we've also got a um, 1.5 version of uh, Endure the Stars. So once they have shipped and we know they are arriving with customers, then we will release the Everrain. Um, I think it helps build trust in the community. And at the end of the day, um, those backers, they you know, they took a leap of faith with us, and we need to honour that commitment. And then um, we're not going to just suddenly move on to the next game without making sure that we're taking care of their, their um, you know, their pledge. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I think that's a really good way of handling things. Like you, you, I mean, uh, like Kickstarter is quite a like you're putting your faith in somewhere, and it's it's easier to have faith when people have proven that yeah. you know, you've you've totally yeah, exactly like you know. Obviously, yes, we it, it, we are running a business and we, we have to keep generating revenue. But, you know, if we don't do it properly, then, um, you know, it'll, it'll fail for us. So, um, you know, we, we are still a very small company. So we are very much um, reliant on our customers and our backers and our support to, to keep the wheels moving. So um, it, it's important for us that um, we make sure that you know we honor our commitments and, and that we take care of everyone first so um so yeah but anyway yeah on to the everrain so basically the everrain is an, um, an epic uh, exploration game and um, it's set in a dark sea world um we haven't gone for the typical 1920s lovecraftian cthulhu um which is you know it's it's been done enough um and it, it's continuing to, to, to keep, keep cropping up um we tried to go for the 1800s kind of theme. It's very dark, it's very sinister, but we do have an element of um, you know creatures under the sea. Um, obviously, the, the story of the game basically is um, you know the world's on the brink of collapse. It's been raining for five years. No one knows why. The world is flooding, and what they don't know is um, an, um, basically an unknown identity has awoken from a, like an ancient sleep, and um, is basically flooding the world so your task is to set out to sail on a ship and and put an end to that um, so what you do is obviously you have a ship miniature which goes across uh, a nautical themed seaboard um, it's uh, basically tiles build so that the, the map builds as you set the sail um, and obviously you've got different weather conditions uh, you've got shipwrecks you've got like islands etc which you can visit you also have another dashboard which is an aerial shot of the ship now you hire crew which are your miniatures um, you can hire basic crew or you can hire like skilled surgeons master gunners captains and the idea is what you can do with the ship is you can um, you can place the miniatures on your dashboard on the ship at the helm to speed up the ship you can um, you can put them in the crow's nest to see further afield um, that's cool. You can um, 
you can build, um, you can have diving bells so you can explore shipwrecks beneath. Uh, you can build coals, um, infirmaries. Um, basically, you can you can gun your ship out. It'll slow it down. So the ships behave differently how you build it and how you know what 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 you purchase. Um, so the idea is um, you also can visit towns. So you can visit chapels and inns. You can like resolve your health, etc. So. Um, that sounds that sounds really neat and like uh, so you're kind of you're distributing your crew and you're managing that whilst also exploring and uh, yeah yeah okay yeah, and, and basically you know uh, each game is uh, uh, scenario based but um, basically it, it varies depending on the outcome of, of how uh, with the enemy how the uh, how the story and how the mission commences and how it continues to grow so um, oh that that sounds really that sounds really awesome and like the the, the settings um. Like Chris, uh, Chris and his his wife Sam are, yeah. are super into. I mean, we're we're all kind of into horror stuff. I'm particularly into like aquatic yeah. things. So yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw the the, min- the minis you've got for these in the like, don't get me wrong, it does have a, a Lovecraftian twist, like a little like kind of teaser element of it. But um, we try to stay clear of it. Um, but we do we do love that kind of world, um, mm. and we kind of introduced it into ours. Um, yeah. But, like you, you've got the, sea monsters here, but they—they're yeah. not the. It's not just a a deep one, a shogoth, a, no, a, a Cthulhu, no. which is uh, really nice. And, and, and some of the um, some of the humans, obviously, because they've been you know, um, the world's been flooding for five years. They're starting to evolve into these creatures as well, so they're starting to like morph into them. Mm. So um, some of the some of the guys you come up against are, are starting to grow tentacles and all sorts of like crustaceans on them and things. So um, yeah. Um, we, we really, we really think that this game is is very unique and very different to our game Village. Um, and again, similar to Village, what we've done is, we, we, as I say, when we mentioned that it's story driven, but the outcome of how your ship behaves and how you how you set a sail, it changes the story all the time. It gives again more replayability. Every time you play, is a different outcome. So um, okay. Um, yeah, that sounds that sounds really good. I'm uh, I'm very keen to. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep my eye on this one. Um, what what kind of uh, setup is it? Is it co- cooperative? Yeah, so um, so it's one to four player. It's going to be uh, cooperative. But what way? We are adding uh, solo mode. Um, Fantastic. Now, there is a lot of games out there that what they do is they actually um, they bulk on solo mode to a fully cooperative game, and the mechanics can be a bit clunky, and sometimes it's like an afterthought. We are very much focused on trying to do both simultaneously. So we're we're adding the solo mode from from day one. We're very much spending a lot of time in demo and getting that correct. Um, and obviously, with the solo mode, you there's games where you can play solo, but you have to play four characters at once, and you have to run around the table and play all four of them. Uh, you will just play with one miniature, one ship, one dashboard, uh, and obviously your ship dashboard goes against another ship dashboard, like an enemy ship. So. It's got that you, you can battle across ships as well. So um, nice. it, there's a lot of mechanics. That's just a, literally a brief, a brief overlay of what, what's going to happen, an overview. Um, there is more to come. We are going to be um, kind of weekly posting things on Facebook of new miniatures or a little bit more of the story, just building up to the release of the Kickstarter. But as I say, we're not going to do uh, a release until Village is with people. Um, we believe. We're probably aiming towards end of September, early October for the Kickstarter. 
Fantastic. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very you. much for your time. And, uh, thank you. Yeah, have a great expo. Thanks a lot. So, uh, yeah, James, it was really wicked that you were able to do that while I was off, <laughs> you know, pretending to be a vampire in the morning or whatever it was. I'm sure yeah, it was, it was the morning. Yeah. Um, uh, village attacks then uh, looked pretty cool. Uh, did you get a chance to have a go at it as well? I didn't actually get a chance to sit and play it. Um, ah, okay. But the, the miniatures, are, again, are pretty quality. I think I saw them last year. They were just having the... Um, the concept miniatures for it ready. Hmm. So I think they had resins uh, of, of the miniatures then. Um, I mean, how do you feel about it? Because, I mean, as I said, it's kind of like a, what, a tower defense type game. So what yeah. what about it is really, you know, ticking all the boxes for you? So I, I like games where you're kind of preparing for stuff. You're trying to think of, like, you're trying to funnel monsters to deal with it or creatures to deal with them in this case actually villagers you are the creatures um so there's a little bit of forethought there but one of the things that really struck me as interesting is the way that they said that they want to well they've made the the monster decks available online or the templates for them they've made the font available they've made the uh, the tiles that you would use available so if you want to you can make your own custom through campaigns, you can put them on, on the internet, you can upload them for other people, and that means that you're going to, you know, you're starting with a small level of content and people are going to be able to build it up. So there's you're kind of getting a community around it, um, which is really neat, and as you say, also the minis the minis do look really good. I mean, they were selling them as, uh, as individual packed resin figures at the expo, because you know, they said they came from a point where they did a lot of gaming themselves, like roleplay stuff, and people want those minis. So why not make them available? Hmm. And then um, with Everrain, because this is uh, a again a, a co-op board game, very different in style to the other ones, where you know the a lot of them you're going to have multiple kind of sections, uh, miniature areas. Uh, so board areas where you'll have the board itself, which is a hex grid of islands and open sea and treacherous conditions, and your boat will be going across that board, exploring it to try and find the secrets that allow you to defeat this strange elder god. Um, and you also have um, boards to represent the ships and your and, and where the crew are and how they fight or where if they're on if they're on like dry land, if they've, they've docked somewhere, there's there's going to be boards to represent their, those locations as well. So it's, it's interesting. It certainly has kind of, uh, it, it, it makes me kind of reminiscent of things like Man of War and Dreadfleet by Games Workshop, but obviously the co-op element to it has a kind of a, Depending on what the book is like and how the mystery and the story develops, it could be very similar to Kingdom Death in that sense with that emergent story. Yeah, like it's again the or I got the feeling that it's not the kind of legacy campaign style setup that you get for Kingdom Death. So you'll sit down to play it and you'll go through and 
different situations will happen depending on where you get to. Um, but it seems like it seems like a really interesting concept. I can't wait to actually see it moving and in action um, because it sounds like there's going to be a lot of different things that you can do. You know, there's fighting on your there's fighting on your boat. There's fighting with your boat. There's maybe landing on an island, um, and that's going to give you like, quite a lot of different ways to act that you're going to have to pass. So how easy it is to pick up is going to be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I mean it's nice to see someone do aquatic horror without immediately going to Cthulhu as well. You know, that's a that's a big deal. Um, so they've got their own interesting, unique, grippy monsters. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so yeah, James, what other things did you get up to then at UK Games Expo and get to try out? What was your overall experience of the event and how did you feel it was perhaps different and hopefully better than even last year? Um, so this year I did actually get a chance to sit down and play some games, whereas last year doing just the one day it was really a bit of a push to get an idea of what was at the expo and then get time to talk to who he wanted. Mm. Um, like the two days was was much better. Um, I sat down and of all things, I played some Shade Spire um, because I've had I've got some friends at work who are interested in it. Uh, you haven't played it yourself, I think. So it was an opportunity for me to just kind of figure out what was going on with that. Um, and also talk to some of the people on the Games Workshop stand. Yeah. Um, and that was that was neat. Um, I talked to the Steamforge Games team, mm -hmm. and we got an idea about God Tier. Yeah. God Tier looks really... It sounds pretty cool, like, the way it operates. Um, again, because it's all about the ebb and flow. It tries... It, it's um, The way that game design is, to create an ebb and flow turn turn sequence kind of so that it rewards being quite competitive at the right moments not just being purely defensive or purely just on the attack all the time um which is important because i think it then maintains people feel quite active in the game all the way through and anything can and will happen uh unlike some war games where you feel like it's kind of all done in all over in almost what in the first few turns or or one turn can spell complete you know it's the end of it just in one bad turn so um it's gonna be interesting to see that it was a shame they didn't have like a working demo yeah i mean i think you can still grab the uh the print and play rules off the internet right okay and it is going to be interesting to see what happens with when it comes out you know what what is the like the box that they end up selling because there's a whole bunch of different kind of small groups that you can pick your armies from and a lot of them you know i mean i'm i always end up looking at stuff and thinking oh this would be some great models for um for some tabletop role-playing stuff yeah so, so i'm always uh kind of thinking about it that way and i think they do have some really interesting or some really nice ones for it um any other games you got to try out are you you played the um the Pathfinder. Oh yeah, we did the Pathfinder. Um, well, I did the Pathfinder uh, playtest. There we go. Yeah. Goodness. Um, and that was really great. It's really interesting to see them go in a different direction to what D 
D&D did. I mean, Pathfinder kind of split off from version 3.5 D&D. Yeah. And they're, they've kind of established their own identity and they're trying to lean more into that than looking at, say, oh, this is what 5th edition has done, so we're going to maybe copy that. They've actually just stuck to their guns. They've changed the things that they thought needed changing for them. And it sounds like there's going to be some really interesting stuff there. I got to see how new magic items worked. They have a new action economy, which is really interesting. It meant that we had a fighter who could actually just, like, they could do a whole bunch of stuff on the first level. And normally a fighter at first level is mostly you're just going to hit a thing. Mm-hmm. But this guy had maneuvers and actions and stuff, and it was um, it felt really cool. Wicked. Yeah, and they've got um, one of the base classes as well. So yeah, yeah. hey. <laughs> uh, let's think. What else? Um, obviously, you know, I ran uh, Chronicles of Darkness and a the Vampire Beta um, one shots for that. Um, so my overall experience of running games at UK Games Expo is quite positive. I think there are people that go to UK Games Expo and they're running games there they might be running it for people they already know so they kind of book the space and it's because you know it's people that maybe don't get to see each other too often and so run games there for people they know um i um i uh of course was running actual you know proper full-blown demos so the people that i was you know demoing for in the one case for Chronicles of Darkness, uh, I don't think any of them from right... No, none of them had an experience of a system like that. And uh, the po- the feedback was rather positive because, of course, they really liked being able to play a game that focused so much more on um, the the drama, the investigative elements of, of the story and on on the kind of uh the the post-traumatic stress that you know dealing with horrific things does to you um so that went down really well and then the people that played in the vampire fifth edition beta playtest again that was really well received so i had a player who who um had 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 played uh in um in a previous in previous edition so i think in first and second edition they've played those ones uh, and the other two players were completely new to the system. So, again, that worked across the board really quite well. I think there was only one or two things about the system I didn't get really to try out too much, things like touchstones and, and so forth. But overall, um, my own though experience of running is that, um, let me say that, what shall I say? Uh, you know, First of all, running a game means, you know, if you run a game for four hours for four or more people you're going to get in that basically means that's that covers your ticket entry for that day okay so you get into go you get to go in for free so that's cool um i then um that meant i got ticket entry for free for both those days even though obviously we had press pass that's kind of a moot point but that's really cool if you're if you want to run games and get people into the games that you enjoy uh that's a really fun thing to do then also you get like uh, like lunch vouchers as part of running the games, so that also means then you know you're kind of you know, you do you are getting some kind of benefit. So you get to go in for free. You're going to get lunch for free, and that's 
pretty great overall. I think um, the, the the environment, the rooms aren't too big, or at least the ones I were, was in weren't too big uh, and didn't get too noisy at any one time. So I didn't feel like someone else's game was was encroaching on mine by just being louder. Um, I think that's mostly because they also partition away, partition together certain games of certain types. So all the D&D or Pathfinder or whatever type players and games will be in one area together. So that hopefully lends to why certain game, if you're running other games, you're in maybe spaces which are going to be a a bit quieter because you've generally got games that are more, a bit more niche maybe. Uh, that might be different next year when we've got tons of people playing Vampire again. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can be involved in running uh, a demo for that. Um, other things that were highlights, James? Um, we had Vikings fighting. Oh, yeah, Vikings and Orcs. And Orcs. Uh, man, the uh, the food, actually. Like, this year... Generally quite good. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, oh, those those cheese uh, toasties we got. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think the only thing, you know, the, the one thing, and this has already been said, so it's like in a few months' time or something, apparently, you know, they're going to start the, the hotels for the event, apparently, will start taking like um, bookings again for next year, which, you know, is crazy. It's going to be bookings already. But, you know, they have to do it that far in advance because it's that, like, you know, it costs that much and people are that desperate to be on you know have a hotel on site um i would like to hope that if i'm getting you know i would like to say that you don't need to be on site like we we stayed in a hotel our our guest house was what 10 minutes 15 minutes away in a car yeah so you ubered back and forth it wasn't that much i mean the price that we saved the even even with the price we saved and the cost of uber was mostly still a lot cheaper than staying in the hilton or staying um, elsewhere, um, so yeah. Like I, I can see it'd be, I can see it would be really handy to have a, like a base near where the expo is. Like on that second day, I ended up having to carry around all my stuff the whole day, and that was, um, that was intense. But, yeah, you know, I think some of that is better planning next time. Um, well, I think next time, on, I think definitely. Part. I think next time we'll, we've got a base camp with uh, the guys that are on tabletop. Fortunately, um, you know, so we'll we'll sort that out um, because and yeah, go on. They do have the um, they do have the buy and and uh, drop locations, so you can actually like leave your bags over the day. Oh, okay. So that is an option. Um, and also, I mean, hey, I saw someone walking around with an actual wagon. Yes. Um, a bit like as uh, spiel, you get that people with little wagons of games, um, and then also the other thing you can do if you want to get in into Expo for free and and enjoy stuff is you can actually like um, volunteer to to be a grunt in some way for the event. So there is a volunteer program, um, so that's also a pretty cool way to get involved. And so like uh, our friend Fion, she was running. She was in. She was looking after an area where it was like RPGs for kids. So, you know, that's great. Um, yeah, 
Okay, um, I guess we should line up another uh, bit of audio we've got, another interview. Um, so let's have a listen to what Sam uh, from behind, who's one of the main guys behind the Sins RPG, has to say about that. So this is Chris from Dark Days Radio, and I am talking to Sam. Okay. First Falling Leaf. Uh, we are here with our first game, Sins, which is a supernatural post-apocalyptic role-playing game. It takes place in a post-apocalyptic world that's very eldritch, very mysterious, full of a great many mysteries for both players and GMs to sink their teeth into. In Sins, players take on the roles of nemesaries, who are undead, reborn individuals brought back into the world with a whole host of superpowers, both terrifying, unique, and mysterious. The world itself is inhabited by the Brood, which are an undead hive mind with the power to raise the dead and drive mortals insane. They're a very cunning enemy and not like your standard shambler in a great many zombie games. They're very unlike those. They have the power to evolve, grow, adapt. They're a very fearsome enemy befitting to the Nemesaries, who are beings of incredible power. Whilst players take on the roles of Nemesaries with incredible power, the game is fundamentally about choice, ethics, and morality. And everything in the game's mechanics tie back into the narrative and the morals of the stories that you tell as a GM and experience as a player. So the best example of this is the way that Nemesaries use their great and terrifying powers is through a resource known as Anima, uh, which comes in light, dark, and neutral forms. And the only way you can regain Anima is by making humans experience emotions. So you're always driving the story forward and always affecting a change in the world, for good or bad, in order to use all your awesome powers. So the, the game's mechanics are always tied into the narrative, nudging players along and making sure that neither the power game or the narrative role players are at an advantage. It's just making sure that everyone's having a good time, everyone's having fun, and just driving the story forward, really. Uh, the game's mechanics runs on a D6 pool that's been in the works now for four, going on five years. We were here at the UK Games Expo last year uh, with only one copy. Since then, we've kickstarted back in September of 2017. Uh, we were asking for 5,000 and we've ended up raising 30,000 pounds. Wow. So we've shipped worldwide to both individuals and select retailers. Um, and we're here today just to really get the word out of what we're doing, sell a few copies to those who might have missed our Kickstarter, and just build up a following and a fan base, get people interested in Sins, get people talking, share with people what it is that we've made. It's been very much a bedroom project for a good couple of years now, but we're ready to just sort of bring it to the world and just hope that everyone enjoys it as much as we've enjoyed writing it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool because, like, as I say, it's, uh, the dice pool system is familiar if you've played World of Darkness games, which our listeners will have. Um, the, 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 the agendas, the motivation of the characters, again, that see, is a familiar aspect. But, I mean, the world is post-apocalyptic, so that makes yeah, yeah. it quite unique. Um, and, you know, it'd be good to delve into... Um, the demo pack and learn more yeah, about the fans, setting. Fans of World of Darkness, Vampire the Masquerade, Old White Wolf publications will find a lot that's familiar, welcome, and fun to them. Yeah. Uh, we take a lot of cues from their from their games. Uh, we're big fans of it ourselves, and we just sort of wanted to put our own ideas to paper and just get it out there and just share with people the world that we've created. 
And the artwork I'm just looking at is has kind of a, I'm trying to think, it, it's reminiscent, I can't put my finger, it's got kind of a slight anime feel to it, if, is that right? Yeah, yeah, a bit of a, a bit of like a, an anime style feel mixed with, you know, sort of a, a gorilla's kind of artwork. It's very punky, very modern, very sketchy, and we're operating in black and whites here with a very defined aesthetic for the game in, in bold whites and reds, yeah. symbolizing the uh, the blood and bone, which is a prevalent motif yeah. of the game. I mean, that's one of my favorite aspects of like Chronicles of Darkness is like the monochrome prints of the book. So right. I've kind of, the look is impactful. So that's really good. Cool, well that's, ah, that's um, I think that covers everything. I think in more detail, we'd have to do an interview via Skype with less noise. Uh, but thank you again. Um, and how can they get in contact with you? Uh, so you can find us on Facebook or Twitter under SinsRPG with a space on Facebook, no space on Twitter. If you look us up, SinsRPG, you should find us. I can be found as at Sam Sleamy if anyone wants to ask me any questions as a, as a writer. Uh, but any Sins-related queries, just shoot them towards our Facebook and Twitter. I'll do my best to answer them and just answer any questions that potential fans or interested parties might have. Brilliant, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll be back with something else interesting. So see ya. So overall, from what I've seen in the game system, it's quite simple uh, for Sins. Uh, so it's a dice pool, D6 dice pool, but the difficulty also decreases the more skilled you are. So you don't just get more dice, but it gets easier. Uh, James, you picked up the introductory scenario? Yeah, I've got the one shot. Um, it's it's set as a prequel to yeah. the uh, the rest of the setting, um, which, you know, I, I was kind of hoping to be able to browse and get an idea of what, what's going on later, but it's quite nice for maybe if you want to sit down, introduce your friends to a new way of playing something, and then let them know that actually, yeah, okay, you get you get to be more epic in like the rest of the book. Um, but you, you know, it's a good introduction to the mechanics and some of the stuff that you'll be dealing with. And uh, I mean, the art, my goodness, like the art in that book is one of the things that just leapt out at me. I don't have the name of the artist here, um, but it's it's very uh, very iconic. Style. It's mentioned in the interview. We've got the name of the artist there. Um, yeah, I mean, it look, it's something I need to look into in more depth and see if it's something I would like to run in future. Um, but it is like it is really well made, and clearly they've put a lot of thought and effort into into making this uh, award winning um, RPG. Uh, we also had a chance to talk to them because um, both Sam and um, Dean, who uh, also works on it, they're, they're both based in York, um, so uh, they were also at the RPG designers meetup, so um, should see about trying to sort out some sort of meetup with them if they're based in York um, to talk RPGs and do some podcasting or something, that'd be really fun. Yeah. Um, right, okay, um, let's move on to um, the next interview we've got. Uh, which is with James Raggy, and it is for the uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess. And hello again, it's Chris from Darker Days Radio, and I'm joined by James from... 
Lamentations of Flame Princess. Yes. So uh, you're here again at Expo. It's bigger. How are you finding it? Well, we're doing better this year than last, so no complaints. Okay. Um, and you've got, you had a few new products last year. I think you had um, a huge stack again of Veins of the Earth. I've got the PDF and I'm slowly working it through it. And it's very lovely. Um, and it's, it, it's my kingdom death kind of feels hard. Um, but what have you got new at this event? Okay, well, since last year, what have we released? Uh, Vaginas Are Magic came out last year for free RPG day. Brilliant. Uh, then we had, uh, beginning of this year, Frostbitten and Mutilated, the new Zack Smith book. Okay. And then we had Fishfuckers come out on April 1st, and then the Random Esoteric Creature Generator for classic fantasy role-playing games and their modern simulacra. And then on June 16th for free RPG day this year, we've got Eldritch Cock coming out. <laughs> right, okay. Um, okay, so let's go from the top with um oh where do we start there's so much to talk about okay tell me about the random esoteric creature de generator because that sounds kind of uh my mate uh, james who's on the who's just gone home actually it's he's more of a classic D, D type person so what is the what will this give him uh it's just a way to generate random creatures uh it's, it's exactly what it says in the title uh it was my very first role-playing book i wrote that and released it back in 2008 uh, I sold something like 19 copies of the uh, self-published version, but I also sent it out to everybody that was doing uh, old-school publications at the time. Okay. Goodman Games picked it up, did a slightly fancier version for retail, and now it's the 10-year anniversary. Ah, I brought right. it home and fancied it up, and it's got a shiny slipcase and everything. I was going to say the slipcase looks fantastic. So this is compatible, obviously, with Lamentations, but also it's perfectly great for any other kind of fantasy role play you want to use um yeah pretty much any class and level system i mean if you're using like third edition or pathfinder or stuff with fifth edition there are some bells and whistles that this book's not going to cover but for all the basics yeah it should work fine uh and what would you say if i if we were to delve through that what's the one table you would go that's your favorite table for generating weirdness from I imagine, is it lists of tables to help generate the monsters, or...? Yeah, well, it's just basically going through what's the appearance, how big it is, whether it's special powers, whether it's distinctive features, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, the, the basic the basic shape, the, the ones that get weird in the subtable at the end, because the, the meat of this book is going to be doing, like, old school D&D style monsters like owlbear kind of things that have weird abilities uh, it's yeah it's more in that vein it's probably better it's probably better suited for classic D&D style monsters than what Lamentations you know is now but, okay. but it, it'll still work for that just fine I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more conceptually than yeah know, okay that sounds pretty that sounds like really useful I mean it's a nice, neat, small book. You go along to your D&D group or at the shop and, you know, it's not going to weigh you down, but it's like tons of content waiting to happen. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so Frostbitten and Mutilated by Zach has his distinctive art style with his um, line art in tons and black, black and white. Um, so what's the general outline of this book? Viking Amazons of the Metal North. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, um... And I expect, like, you've got, um, I mean, typical to that, you've got, like, random encounter tables or how to generate villages and type, that type yeah, of thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a setting. It's a regional setting. Uh, it's the, this magical area that, that takes place 
Well, depending on how you do it, like in my campaign, it would be set in the mountains of Norway. In Zach's campaign, it's the northern regions of the Vornheim world. Yeah, so, you know, just basically where there's, you know, magical goings on and these these tribes of women barbarians that are at each other's throats. And it's just a mess for adventurers to walk into and either die or profit. Yeah, I get I get the feeling of like the classic kind of realms of chaos kind of thing kind of oozing out as well with that kind of Norseman and madness and so forth so oh yeah the oh yeah that was a big influence yes definitely yeah, understandable um and then we've got fish fuckers yeah right uh, <laughs> fish fuckers i'm sold out here but i'll have that at upcoming i don't know if i can have it at gen con i guess i'll okay. try until they toss me out um but yeah fish fuckers it was an april 1st release on the website uh it's basically it, it takes place in the lovely seaside english village of innsmouth of course. Yes, and and there's uh, there are deep ones, and there's villagers, and there's uh, um, how should I say uh, mingling, of course, fraternization going on. But whatever whatever you have in your mind of what could be going on in this adventure, the truth is much worse. As always, yeah. Um, I did get to have a little bit of a flick through when you had copies, and again, it's a really premium kind of cool book look. You know, people should be happy if they can get a copy if they're still there at Gen Con. Uh, and then you, uh, what did we have last? Oh, your um, free RPG day one, of course. Yes, Eldritch Cock. Uh, that'll be coming out later this month. Um, you know, we are recording this in the beginning of June. It'll be out June 16th, 2018. And it's basically, <laughs> uh, it's the same format as Vaginas or Magic. as just more spells. Uh, not not gender specific this time. Uh, you know the the temptation was let's make these all man oriented spells and manly this and manly that. But that's uh, I just didn't have the heart to write it that yeah. way. So it's just more weird spells using the same magic system as vaginas or magic. But the difference is the book is in full color, so oh, that'll, that'll okay. give some people uh, more stuff to hate because oh boy we went uh, overboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. I think that sums up. It's, you know, eclectic, probably, you know, pulls no punches. Uh, definitely lots of interesting content if you get stuck for an idea in your campaign and you just need to pull out a book and generate stuff. Um, and I'm sure you've got some excellent future products that will be lined up when people have ideas to give you, right? Well, I have like two dozen projects that are in various stages of completion. Yeah. But what's going to come out and when I... Knowing that is just not the Lamentations no, way. No, sure, don't worry about it. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for talking. It's excellent. I mean, I need to... I really need to at some point delve into the rule system because I'm kind of in the process of writing something myself and just need inspiration from everywhere. And the great thing about Lamentations is if you really like to not pull punches and kind of see what you can do and if your players enjoy that it's um it caters for you really well um so yeah thank you for talking and uh we'll get back to you with hopefully more stuff on with beast war as well and we'll up and more uk game expo before i go home so bye So, yes, Lamentations of the Flame Princess is a wildly, you know, is a very popular um, 
popular uh, series of books, popular publisher, um, because it doesn't really want to um, pull any punches with with the content that the writers feel they, they have to write. So, you know, the the level of horror, gore, explicit content is is down to the writers. And obviously, you as a person that's going to buy these books, it's entirely up to you whether you're going to be offended or not. So, you know, why try and placate people in that way? Because one person's jam is another person's bloody, you know, bovril. Um, the, but the thing is that the one thing you, you can't deny is that uh, the books that Lamentations of the Flame Princess put out are of a quality you don't see often from other publishers. Like they're, the hardback books, they're not just often hardback books, they're like either they're embossed, they've got some very interesting uh, silver kind of printing on the cover, like um, the, uh, the most recent book... Um, from Zach Smith with his art style in there and on the cover. It, it just looks fantastic. You just can't deny it. Um, it's very OSR and I'm not really I'm not really into I don't know. I again I would have to think about what I would want to run for for that. I think I'm I'll I need to delve through veins of the earth a bit more before I feel like I know what I would want to run for it. Um but it is very more kind of that the time period for it is it aims to be kind of like around about the renaissance with its kind of default setting but obviously a lot of these books can be used along with any version of dnd or whatever kind of like retro dungeon crawler or or type game because a lot of the the main things in these books are that kind of osr style like you know lots and lots of random encounter table well tables that have a lot of random elements to it to allow uh narrative to be generated for you and and in some respects that's quite kind of similar to like you get kind of a good feel for like how the writers of these are kind of in in some respects kind of inspired by things like classic warhammer fantasy role play or um you know we were talking about like the realms of chaos books from way back when which again have tons of random tables uh and of course one book i picked up james i picked up on my free rpg day book was eldritch cock which is as as uh sam sam looked at it and she commented that it looks like one of those um ladybird kids books you know back in the day uh <laughs> it's that kind of size hardback glossy cover the artwork to the chicken is that kind of looks like it dates from like the 70s 80s in that style and it is basically a uh, a book of spells and it has a magic system that is very reminiscent to say um chaos magic in warhammer so if you've played warhammer fantasy roleplay uh you know first and second editions and hopefully fourth edition is more like this you know a lot of crazy crap can happen and you know you've got also uh, spells which obviously they the the titles of these spells are based on like black metal songs <laughs> and the artwork is really good they've not skimped out on the artwork um and each table you each spell even has its own random miscast table uh which is you know really cool um so you know like i said i have to think about what i would run or try and run this with it'd be really nice to use some of the stuff out of this uh for a game 
more than likely. I think Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is actually something you can drop this into quite happily. Um, yeah, you've got you've got a spell here called uh, Robe of Ectoplasm. Uh, so yeah, like it's there. It's a good. It's a it's a nice list. One of the smaller publishers, I think. Um, again, there's some exciting things to be seen from that in future. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're looking for stuff which you can put in front of your players, and they're the and they but they are the squeamish type or not, you know, they have their they have their boundaries on the kind of content they want in games. You know, discuss with them first before you go go down this route because. You know, these books don't pull punches. Um, anything you want to say on that front, James? No, I'm, I'm not super familiar with that one. Um, so, yeah, you should pick up. I mean, the the um, the core book for Lamentations of the Flame Princesses is is, um, is available online, um, and you can. I think there's a free version which just doesn't have any of the artwork. Okay, I think we might have had a look at it last year at the um, yeah. As I said, I need to I need to read through and figure out what I want to run because there's other things I'd like to run um, all the time. Uh, okay, so finally we'll move on to our last interview, which was with Parabellum uh, War Games and their game Conquest. Okay, so I'm back. This is Chris from Dark Days Radio. I think this is mostly going to be the last interview I do today because now I'm knackered. Um, and I am joined by, oh, I've forgotten your name already. Terrible, sorry. Introduce yourself. Leo. I'm Leo. Leo. From Parabellum War Games. Now, Parabellum War Games, I think I've seen some teasers on the on tabletop. Uh, and you've, what I've seen so far is kind of your medieval soldiers, but also you've got some very interesting elves. So give us the elevator pitch of like this um this war game uh tell us about the scale the concepts what you're trying to achieve and what makes it stand out and then we can talk about because obviously you're teasing and releasing stuff about the races like what makes them kind of unique why they're not the classic tolkien kind of tropes well conquest is our take on the mass battle fantasy war game genre where we wanted a game that is simple in terms of rules, but we want it to be deeply tactical. Yeah. To do that, uh, we have a system in which every regiment has a command card. At okay. the beginning of the turn, you take these cards and you assemble, you arrange them in a command stack. So the right. card that is on top gets to activate first. So yeah. we do not have phases, we do not have the standard form of activating units, but what we do, we draw the top card, we take two actions with that regiment, and then once we're done, the play passes on to our opponent. So we go back and forth like okay. this. Okay, I really, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Like, I pick, I, like, I've got Necromunda, new one, and back and forth works really well. Some games it's great, like Guild Ball, so I really appreciate that. And the, the commander, you, you say when you build that commander, do you choose the order? Absolutely. Okay, so that, there's an element of bluffing there. Exactly. And that means, uh, uh, I don't know, for counter charges and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, what you want to do is that uh, you want to have foresight to make sure that you arrange those uh, those cards in a way that in the way that you want to play them, but at the same time keeping in mind like all the moves that your opponent might make, how they might bluff, how they might make just uh, mood, mood moves just to lure you out, and these are these are all the aspects of the game. So reminiscent. So like I've got a copy of uh, Ragnarok from when Confrontation did that, and the, again the turn sequence is, you know, it works. I mean. As long as it's fast, not too clunky, and it sounds like you've got it 
hope you know, you've got a system that plays quickly and as you say scales because you got three units or five units it's the same thing yeah and um so yeah so it's back and forth uh what about the units how big are the troops like how does it scale with like how big your armies are so uh let's say for example we did a uh we did a battle uh online that we had 160 miniatures on the table let's say and we played on a four by four okay and that uh did not clutter at all because the other part of the game is that we do not have any deployment so what we do is that the light forces first come in. They're there to scout, to act as a vanguard, as skirmishers, and fight over objectives. And at the same time, they push up a line of scrimmage for other regiments to come in from the flanks further up the field. Oh, right. So the the, uh, the regiments come in waves. We have the light, the medium, and the heavies. So the thing is that you keep you keep pushing the boundaries wow. of your of your of that line. You keep pushing to to claim territory and move up the field and claim the objectives. That. That's really cool. Okay, I get that. That's that's nice. Uh, I mean, yeah, because if you're scouting, it kind of almost means you've got that growing wave of the battle as it escalates, um, taking objectives and trying to hold them. I mean, that's kind of water. You know, battle of Waterloo. You scout forward, you take things, and if you take out the scouts, I mean, that's a tactical advantage, right? Definitely, definitely. They're, the game naturally uh, separates itself into three phases. Let's say the light, the medium, and the heavy. Okay. And you have every every different. Uh, type performing a very specific role. That's important because that gives us so many different ways to balance the game. Something becomes from light to medium and suddenly uh, their, their rules change or when how long they play during the game. Th th these are all things that you take into consideration when balancing and allows us to have all these different approaches to game mechanics and balancing. Okay, so um, you've got your troops, you've got your turn sequence. Right, they're going to move on the battlefield. There's obviously a movement stat of some form, yeah. fine. Uh, whether they run, charge, there's elements of that, I'm assuming. Uh, well, everything works. It's what we want Conquest to be. We want it to be familiar, but at the same time, we, want it, we do not want to overcomplicate the rules. Yeah. For example, if we try to keep it as as least random as possible. Let's say if you uh, okay. if you move if you maneuver properly, there's no way you will fail a charge. Let's say, uh, or um, if you let's say if you. For example, you have a march characteristic, that's how far you move. Yeah. So you have to roll a d6 and add that to your march. And if that's enough to cover the distance, then you successfully charge. But if you make sure to maneuver properly and be within your march yeah, distance, yeah, yeah. then that's always going to be a successful charge. So you, you, you obviously, because a, a good in games with randomness where you can make meaningful choices, but obviously you still got to have that element of, of a risk. But if you've mitigated the risk with good exactly. planning, yeah. then you're rewarded for it. Um, Cool, okay, so yeah, okay, movement, fine. Uh, combat, give us a taste of how that operates for the miniature in the game. Yeah, okay, so well, this is something that is a little uh, new to players okay. in, the, in the sense that we, we always want to roll low. So sure. we have it. We have very. We have a very uh, easy system. What we do is that when you have a characteristic, let's say clash, clash is how good you are in combat, right? So simply you pick up as many attacks as you have and you need to roll equal to or less than that statistic. Okay. So it is as simple as that. that that's not crazy to me because uh, I've played Fading Suns RPG and that's all about rolling high but low. Um, is there a boat? Is there any way of like anything like criticals in it, or is it just roll below the target number? It's roll be below the target number, and okay. you go from to hit directly to taking defense rolls. And then... Okay, so you roll to hit. 
they roll to defense, uh, and is that just straight wounds and that? Then there's defense. So for every for every failed defense roll, you start taking wounds. The thing though in conquest is that regiments never break and run away. But what happens okay. is that individual soldiers do. Okay. So after every after every wound that you take, you you take a resolve test for every wound that you've taken, and that might if you fail that, that might resolve to further casualties. So I saw that you have blocks of troops on stand. So do they all fight as they count as a fight? When they're fighting unit to unit, you just take all the number of attacks for based upon the number of models? Well, uh, one thing to, to understand about Conquest is that the actual game entity is the stand itself. The okay. miniatures are more like counters. Yeah, sure. So we care about the, when we, in combat, we care about the stands that are engaged, and by engaged, we mean in contact with an enemy stand. So they, these stands fight with their full complement of attacks. Uh, the, the attacks of a single miniature times however there many there are on the stand. Sure, okay. The ones that are not in contact are supporting stands, and they support with one attack each. Okay, yeah, that's, no, that's fine, that's wicked. Okay. Um, anything else that we should expect that makes this different for if you say play I don't know if you played classic Warhammer Fantasy Battles or if you play I don't know um, War Machine and Hordes what do you think what elements I mean the turn sequence fine I get the stands we get that what what would you say really makes it stand out from other games on the market well the mixture of having to test strategic foresight as the main skill that is being tested in the game it is not about complexity of rules or having uh, really elaborate situations with needing extensive rules lowering it has to do you are testing strategic foresight as the as the skill to play the game so what you didn't hear was about testing for strategic foresight while we had the over the, uh, over the microphone, the people wanted us to uh, get the hell out of the <laughs> out of the expo. Um, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the world itself. So we've got kind of a, a the hundred kingdoms, a, a medieval uh, uh, community of humans. We've got some elves that look like they've done some weird bone crafting. Yeah. Well, the uh, the spires are actually uh, many people would think at first sight that they're the evil race, but actually they're the most neutral. They're very corporate in their logic. So what happens is that the spires actually do not fight themselves because there's so few. So what they do is that they bioengineer their own soldiers. Uh, You've noticed, okay. let's say on the uh, force grown drones, you'll see they have little hooks on their heads. Yeah. And that's literally because they are hooked from conveyor belts and moved around within the spires to be created. Well, that's just nice. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and then there's a dwarven race. I saw some artwork for that. So tell us about the dwarves. Yeah. Well, the, the Dwegom in the lore of the of the of the world, they were the creation of dragons. So they were there to serve them as slaves. But what happened is that the Dwegom wanted to rebel, and at some point they they managed to to um, to find the the, the the soul of the god of destruction. So they. The, the um, devoured part of destruction and that allowed them to actually find the strength to to now become to now become the masters of their former of their of the former masters the dragons so now the problem is they ha they imprisoned them and now they have to turn their destructive tendency somewhere uh, okay and then you've also got kind of a, a Norse race I could see humans yeah. again but with a Norse theme to it um, so What's the Kickstarter? There's a Kickstarter, is there, or what's the release plan? You know, how how are people going to get hold of this? Well, the game is not 
a Kickstarter. Okay, well that's shoes. Okay, good. So the game is fully financed by us. We control every aspect of production from the very beginning concept of the game all the way to the plastic sprues that you saw uh, with the Marchman clone. Okay. Uh, so uh, we're going to be releasing uh, end of the year. Okay. So you simply have to go to your local gaming store and pick up a copy. And you'll get in the box, what, 100 Kingdoms and the Spire. Uh, how many units, like how many models is that kind of feel? So the starter set has the 100 Kingdoms and the Spires. You get a character for each race. You get, uh, you get, the, you get the Abomination, the monster. You get the three big brutes. You, oh, get, wow. you get 24 Forsgrown drones. You get, um, you, you get the, uh, and then you have the three knights, 24 men-at-arms. You have the uh, this, um, the crossbowmen and all that at eighty euro price point. So that that's the big thing. That's the, the big, big four leg monster yeah, thing. That that everything you see there retails for eighty euros. Jesus! And this is when you say plastic. Is this PVC? Hard plastic, injection molded, sprues, multi part, multi pose. Ah, lovely. Because I hate PVC sometimes. It doesn't clean up sometimes that well. I think that's all you can tell me in a short burst, uh, but it's really, really interesting. Uh, really excited to see it. Uh, hopefully, maybe pick up, get a copy and, and paint them because the miniatures are, are lovely and original. Um, and I'm sure we've got, there's more races to come. Yeah, well, uh, within a year after release, we're going to have fleshed out the Dwegom and the Nords, and we're already planning another 10. Another 10? Okay. So you're not planning small at all with this yeah. game. Fine. Yeah, the, we have also uh, the website is just up so you can get all the new updates and we have the rules for free all of our rules will be for free oh, wow. and we have an army builder coming up and yeah I mean because the game works off basis uh, I mean rules for free is great so people can kind of try before they buy with just paper cutouts I yeah. guess yeah. right well that's awesome uh, that's everything from me uh, everything from Parabellum Games and uh, uh, that is the last one for today I'm done so see ya So, uh, James, you had a look at the stand there as well. What do you think of the miniatures? Yeah, so I'm I'm sold on the Spire Elves. That was what brought me to it in the first place. Um, the Empire of Men, um, you know, I, I, I could um, I, I could give or take them, but the um, the the creepy like battery farmed genetically grown soldiers like vat grown soldiers yeah um, just rather rather rad i mean you know what are you going to do to make an archer better give him an extra arm to hold arrows sure okay that's it's a it's very neat it's very uh it's it's pretty grim um they look like they have just kind of uh amalgamated flesh together i mean i think when we were picking out details on one of the larger models you could see where arms and things were just like flattened into its torso mm. um and yeah uh pretty pretty horrible stuff i mean this is i mean this is the thing right this is the the complete opposite end of of how a company comes into being and creates um a war game so you know you've got games workshop you've got obviously they've been built up over years to be the level they are such that they can bring out um their new box game soul wars which is 
looks freaking fantastic. Like, there is no doubt about the level of quality of that. And then, obviously, you've got smaller companies like Mantic, um, like like Grimlord. Um, but if we talk about more traditional wargaming, we're talking more like Mantic, uh, at least. And, you know, or you've got Kingdom Death, which come through via Kickstarter. And again, the level of quality of the, the miniatures, it all really depends upon what you want to be your final product. And obviously, Mantic, I'm not going to say I'm a massive fan of their miniatures, because I'm, uh, you know, I, well, I will say I'm not a massive fan of the miniatures. I'm, I'm just, it's not my thing. Um, but they're very good if you really want cheaper models. Um, but I don't really know, really, if you get much benefit for the cheapness of them these days, especially if they're made in, like... Um, spincast pvc which is improving let's just say we've seen examples of that and it has improved massively whereas you know with kingdom death you're you you do so well that you you put all that money from the kickstarter you really do invest it into your 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 um your workflow into your into your methods so that when you come to kickstarter again like you really are just making amazing products you're not just um you're not just doing more of the same uh of a of a lesser quality um but then what you've got here with parabellum is a company that is is funded wholesale by some massively rich tycoon and uh that just gives you the ability to create really good plastic miniatures from the outset so i've put together one of the archers and yeah, it's really well designed, really good details in, on them. They're not too soft on the details. Uh, I need to get around to painting it fairly at some point soon. Um, but I'm it, I'm interested because as a fantasy game goes, it ticks all the boxes with being... Um, it's very reminiscent of Ragnarok, that that um uh that Rackham put out with the the way the turn sequence works out so there's a lot of bluffing in which unit you activate which one's going to counter charge all those kind of things um so it's definitely unique in that sense uh they're putting out a box game that's going to be like 80 euros for 80 miniatures in it that are, you know multi-part plastic which is just crazy like like one of the units in that you can actually, I think you'll be able to put together as either like spearmen, swordsmen, or or archers for like the the humans for the the hundred kingdoms, um, and then like yeah, the artwork books are, are amazing. Um, so there's not much more I can say beyond what what I know already is like I know they they went to um, they stopped off at Beast of War um, after Expo to do some Let's Play videos. So hopefully we'll see some videos of gameplay fairly soon oh cool that will be neat yeah but that's really it on on my front with the with their stuff i'm like i said the artwork looks great they've done some really good world world building uh it'll be good to see some the gaming action though uh yeah so the other thing before we finish off that we saw was we um, we had a nice talk through by Kai from Ulysses uh, Ulysses Spiel, uh, who is also obviously the the main uh, the main company to Ulysses North America, and that's the company before behind the new 
uh, Warhammer 40,000 RPG called Wrath and Glory, which also had a uh, a demo game that was out for free RPG day. So that system is very different to the one that's gone before. The previous one was percentile based upon Warhammer, uh, based upon the Warhammer Fantasy RPG, on the second edition one anyway. Um, so this um, this new one uses a D6 dice pool system. Uh, obviously, it caters for using miniatures, but you could convert so you're just measuring things on a non-grid base system. So you know you can use your the, the vast amount of 40k miniatures out there you can just use for this. Uh, there are various templates like Space Marines. There'll be Orcs. There will be in future Eldar, gang, Hive Gangers, Sister Serratus. There's, uh, you know, Commissars, Rogue Traders. The list goes on. There are a ton of things. Apparently the book is going to be huge. I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like when it comes out. James? In the grim darkness of the future, there is only war. And yeah. we're all playing now. Um, so that's going to be good fun. Um, yeah, like a bit of spacefaring, a little bit of intergalactic danger. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to run a, a Necromunda RPG using it because Necromunda is a great location in the Imperium for some sort of plot. Um, and uh, and then also I've got the miniatures to kind of like support that kind of gameplay. And then it can really be focused on something very local and not too grandiose and, and much more about what life is like in the Imperium rather than just, oh, look, we're fighting, you know, orcs or chaos cultists and stuff. Like there'll be chaos cultists because it's, it's the... Uh, it's the Imperium, but I don't want it just focused on that. Yeah. There was some interesting stuff about um, tiers of characters and how they would adjust to... Uh, uh, how you could adjust like a lower tier character to a game with higher tier characters in it. Um, yeah, yeah, because obviously you want your Space Marines to feel like they're a one-man army that can take out like, you know, a hundred, if not a thousand people as they do in the books, because 40k has to kind of scale back how powerful space marines are. But really, uh, a space marine on his own should be able to take out quite a lot of people quite easily. Um, and then, of course, um, they did say that in the core books are rules for, like, ship-to-ship uh, -ship combat with, um, you know, with your big uh, warp-capable spa warp spaceship. So... Um, you know, you get you get your Battlefleet Gothic kind of elements in there as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing that one uh, turn up. And uh, if I can get a copy of the free RPG Day um, content, though, uh, it depends whether they put it out as a PDF sometime soon. We'll see. <laughs> So um, we're pretty much we, that's the end of all the interviews. Um, any last thoughts then, James? Well, um, now that we've been to a couple of gaming expos, um, 
you know we've picked up some some good hints and tips for how to how to survive an expo. Uh, it's not that harrowing an experience, but there's some useful bits and pieces to know. Um, things like, I mean, uh, bring bring a bottle of water or something. It does get hot in there, um, and especially you know it's the summer. Like it is, it was roasty. Uh, yeah. Bring some nice, comfortable shoes. You're going to be doing a lot of standing up and walking around, and bring bring bags um, if you can bring like a tote or something to pack pack any purchases in. That'll really uh, it'll save you back because I put all of mine into a backpack, and by the end of it, I just had to lie down on the floor for a little bit because I because my spine was all um, just mushed, really. <laughs> yeah. Um... Like I said, uh, you know, don't be afraid. Like you know, it's worth running games at these events. Uh, if you want to run demo games of RPGs, to get people into the games that you you enjoy. Um, there's a whole board games library thing that you can check out games and and give them a go before you go out and buy them. I mean, I didn't. It wasn't a game that we checked out at the library. But it was really good fun, even though I had to leave before the end of it, to play uh, through a one of the case files in uh, the Sherlock Holmes uh, consulting detective um, board game, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't have tried out if I hadn't been there. Um, and I'd heard good things, but it was good to try it out uh, along with Matt Dawkins. Uh, I think we both picked up a copy after playing, playing through that, and uh, we've played the first case file uh, recently. Um, I look at Sam and she she'll say, Yes, it was good fun. Yes, it was good fun. Uh so um we had some friends over to try it out. So you know that's great. Um I I mean so long as you can find somewhere that is a good good value to stay at, uh if you're not doing if you're not uh, a grunt or you haven't got some other means to to be at the event uh to make it free, um, you know. If you can afford it, like I do think there's a, I know this is, it's difficult because it's like, I guess some people, this is their, their shopping trip of the year for gaming, right? Yeah. But I mean, you could, you could have a lot of fun at the expo without spending money on board games. You don't have to go there to be buying things. There's a lot of hands-on stuff that you can play and talk to designers on the games that you're interested in um and i mean heck even meet people like i saw a whole bunch of my friends and you know we've made plans to do some gaming because of it and you know that that's a big deal i mean i i see so many people that i've known or i mean even when i've gone up on my own um i've seen people from my town there hmm so you know you might realize you might find someone you know is a secret board gamer all along, and then yeah, uh, you know, and heck, then you can play games at home. <gasps> yeah, um, I I mean for me it was great because obviously um, either there were people that you know I know or they know me, and well we we kind of like you, you know of because you watch certain gaming videos that Beast of War put out, so they know me through the Kingdom Death stuff. They I know them through them being on promoting their own games. So there's that element. Um, yeah, we had one or two people, you know, a few people say, oh, you make 
you do the videos with Beast of War, so it was nice to be, you know, spotted for that. Um, and it was great also at the um, the RPG designers meetup, like people actually listen to Darker Days Radio. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. always nice to hear. Um, we're not just screaming into the void, listening for the echo that never comes back. It never does come back. Like, you know, people need to interact with the podcast a bit more. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I would like to go. I think next time it would be good to go for the whole for the whole weekend. Um, because again, having two days to do things feels less knackering. Having three days would be uh, even less knackering than that. I say less knackering though, because the other thing is, is that, uh, as I said, like tabletop is looking for, you know, on tabletop are, are mostly looking for, uh, looking for people to partner with. So hopefully we can work with them a lot more, uh, on getting our content out there. Uh, hopefully also next year. Now I have more of a feel of how well the microphone works in a noisy environment because we didn't have the press space which was so annoying um we can um at least we can sort out with beast of war ahead of time that there's a bit of a quiet press space for like podcasting because we just, all we need is a quiet little room that we can drag someone off to yeah. and interrogate a cozy little room club cover to do just uh just something where you can shut a door and get away from the noise. Because we had that last year, and they didn't have that provision this year, and it, I think it it really uh, was an issue. It's not too bad. I mean, you can hear though on on the interviews that I've done, you hear popping, and that's because I wasn't too sure how good the microphone is when you've got that amount of noise. And the thing is, the microphone is actually quite is better than I thought. So that's why you hear popping is because I've got it too close to me because I didn't know how good it was. So yeah, we know that for future. That's fine. Um, and you know, I mean, yeah. If I if we if it's the thing to do next year, or at least some of my costs is covered for for hotels, then I can also look at like, um, I can also look at, you know, the whole lot of us going along. I look at Sam going. You want to go along, stay in a nice hotel room for for a weekend. I want to watch the Vikings. She wants to watch the Vikings have a fight. Yeah, who doesn't want to watch the Vikings having a fight? Uh, obviously. Go over to Beasts of War, go over to On Tabletop. They've got their commentary, uh, which is becoming an annual thing where they commentate on the uh, Viking fighting. And uh, next year, I'm going to find out ahead of time when they're doing that because I want to I wanna crash the party because um, that'll be hilarious. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't get around to running, uh, playing as much board game stuff this year, maybe because I was trying to look for certain things and do the interviews and run the games that I was running. Um, but yeah, it's it's good fun. I mean, how does it compare to, say, Essen Spiel? I feel like this year, even though it was bigger, it didn't feel as, as claustrophobic, if that makes sense. Yeah, they'd spaced a lot of stuff out because the actual, like, convention floor spread out into the second uh the second hall you just got a little bit more space in the aisles i think yeah um, and people people did have kind of bigger booths um and it was neat there was a lot of space for everyone to just kind of chill out and what we haven't mentioned is that it was actually on the same day as a comic expo as well was, was it's always it? on the same i think they always happen together yeah, 
So you ended up getting kind of crossover with that. So if you're going to the board game expo, you can also maybe go and see uh, see all the film stuff. Yeah, uh, and of course, being cosplay for your favorite film or TV character or anime character, or you know, obviously gaming character. Uh, there was, I think, I did spot one or two Space Marines walking around, um, and uh, yeah. Um, so I think that's basically it, isn't it, James, for our our expo roundup? Um, you know, there yeah. was stuff I would have bought if I had space, like the the Necromunda train done by uh, Tabletop Combat. Looked amazing. It was like two hundred quid worth for a hundred quid. But I looked and I went, "How am I going to get that home with all the other shit I've got with me? Ain't going to happen." Um, and that is the problem. You kind of start you start thinking like, "How am I going to get any of this home on my on by myself?" It's like it's just not going to happen. Um, so yeah, like there's some really good deals there that you can get, but also you, you don't, you know, also at the same time, like just go to try stuff out so you can buy it when you can properly afford it or properly carry it. If you've not listened to it, there is a recent episode of Dark Days Radio where we interviewed uh Brendan and Adam from Full Metal RPG and we talk about horror, horrorism, survival. Uh, survivalism, sorry. Uh, we also talk about things like V5. We talk about Lamentations of the Flame Princess and OSR gaming and horror in general in gaming. Uh, we also have the few, the two interviews, the one with Onyx Path Publishing and the one with uh, Mythic Games. They're already up online, so go check those out. Uh, and then um, basically, if you want to find out more stuff, uh, there is a total roundup of all media uh, for UK Games Expo if you head over to the On Tabletop slash Beast of War website, which we will link to in the show notes, where you can find even more interviews and more video uh, from podcasts and the like who were present at the event. So finally, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, with us uh, email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com you can get in contact with us on Facebook, where we now have finally 1,000 likes on Facebook. Woo! Oh, yes. It, like that, I don't know what that means. I, I hope that means something with the algorithms, means that we appear in people's feeds a little bit more, maybe. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and um, yeah, uh, we also can be contacted on Twitter at Darker Days Radio. Um, but that is it. So uh, we'll catch up with you soon enough with either a Kingdom Death episode, James, or uh, or we'll talk about uh, Mage the Awakening 2nd Edition. So that's all for now. So see ya. Bye. Bye.